Welcome to The Big Lead. I am Ryan Phillips. I'm here with Kyle Coster, and we are here to discuss a topic that I think is really interesting, and it was Kyle's idea, so I got to give him credit for it. We're going to rank our top seven sort of fastest binges we did of TV shows. And and I thought this was fascinating. And Kyle, when you brought this up as a possible topic for a podcast, I jumped all over it because I think this is such, it's such a fascinating entree into a bunch of different topics. And one of them is that you and I both grew up in an era where people didn't binge TV shows. You had to wait a week or sometimes months between episodes and it was a whole different viewing experience. And so I wanted to get your take before we dive into our top seven fastest binges. We'll count them down from seven to one for you guys. But I wanted to get your take on sort of the world we live in now with television, where we used to have appointment viewing. And now everybody kind of watches on their own time. And some people watch a show in a day and some people watch it over weeks or months. And not everybody's on the same schedule. So I was wondering... Do you like the new world we're in or did you appreciate sort of the old slow burn that we used to watch TV? I think the answer to both questions is yes. Um, I think as with all our adapts over time, starting to do this exercise, I started to think about, try to go back, like, what is the first show that I actually binge watched? Because it certainly was not an option through high school. Uh, It certainly wasn't something that me and my friends were doing or, or talking about even in the beginning of college, I would say- it Back then you, have to, you used to have to DVDs to binge something, you know? Yes, and that certainly counts, but it was just hard sure. to acquire those DVDs. You had, to, you had to borrow from someone or you had to go pay a, a ton of money at Best Buy or whatever the case would be. And you really had to work for your art. So I think the binge culture started coming in when I was in my early 20s, uh, when I was living in Chicago, when I was single, when I was working a lot. And it was the perfect thing to come home every night from work and do, because at that time I had no strings attached. There weren't these uh, demands on my life. If I wanted to knock out six or seven shows in a row, uh, then, then you would. And I think at that time it was something new and exciting. We weren't, there wasn't this fatigue of, we'll talk about it later. I'm sure the fatigue of starting a series and getting the work it takes to get into the third episode, just because we've seen so many back then when you found a show that was worthy of your time, it felt like I am going to invest. And there was real joy in seeing what happened. Yeah. And just going on these experiences, the dopamine hit of, I don't want this to stop. So like all things in my life, I'm probably nostalgic for a, for a simpler time. Same. Um, But now it affords me, there's no like thrill of binging anymore. I know that there's a lot of, uh, in in the culture, there's a lot of, you know, the Netflix and chill thing and the, I'm just going to stay in and rip through Masters of None all in one day. And that, those were things that like, I could see myself doing in a past life, but now the ability to kind of like go a la carte and pick one episode at a time from over here and column B, uh, you know, maybe three episodes really affords the ability to get in and watch because I might only have 90 minutes of free time in a given day or whatever. Sure. Less so in, in the pandemic. So that is my answer is that I've enjoyed both. Uh, but my answer in the way that I, uh, you know, consume these things might change. Uh, my habits might change next month. That's what I find in my own media consumption is that it's like the weather uh, it's bound to be different 
uh, yeah. on the road. What about, what about you? Is this something, it seems like it's, and it has so much to do with your personality too. It's, yeah, it does. Do you have an insatiable personality? Do you like to walk away on top and do you like to push yourself to the limits uh, of seeing how many you can do? Because I certainly think that that is part of it. The challenge. Well, I think that so in quarantine changed my perspective a little bit, especially early in quarantine. And, you know, from working at our site early in quarantine, we were just sort of like, what do we do? Because there's no sports. And so in a given day, we would write much fewer articles than we are now as we kind of figured our way through it. And early in quarantine. So, you know, it felt sort of like we were doing what we could, but that left a lot of free time after work where I'm not thinking about work because we're kind of detached from that world. And my, my girlfriend and I, Madeline, and I blitzed through the entire Marvel catalog because she had never seen any of them. And I'm not like a huge Marvel guy, but I'd seen the movies. And I remember one day one of them was on TV and I was kind of watching. She's like, these are good. Are they all like this? And I was like, yeah. She's like, and we, this was one of the ones from the end. I think it was one of the Avengers last two movies. And she's like, we should watch these. And I'm like, you realize there's 22 of them. She's like, what else do we have to do? And so we every night were watching one and sometimes two because there was nothing else to do early in quarantine. So I enjoyed that. And that's the first time I really embraced like what, you know, I know that's not a TV show, but it's the same concept is I really embraced the, what, what binging can do is that you can get through something very fast. And if you have someone to watch with, especially there's conversations that come out of that, like, what did you think of this one? And you know, the overall arc of the show and you don't have to wait. I remember we, we started binging a lot during quarantine at night. We'd just get dinner and sit and watch something. We went through, I had seen all of Justified, but she had never seen it. We went through all of Justified. That's not on my list, by the way, but we, um, we went through all of Justified and she was like, I can't believe you had to wait sometimes eight months to find out what happened next, you know? And I was like, I know it sucked. So I've, I've really come to appreciate what streaming can do. But I also am nostalgic like you are for the days I remember in college lost was going on and there's so much mystery around, especially the early seasons of that show. Like, where are they? What are they doing? And there were so many like little hints sprinkled in. And I remember between each episode, there was a week of website discussion of where we know there's this clue and let's see what that leads to. And they were usually wrong, but it created this whole culture of like, I'm trying to solve a mystery before every week of that show. And I do remember enjoying that because the anticipation for each episode was so much. I kind of felt that way with Game of Thrones sometimes too, because I hadn't read the books and I didn't know what was going to happen next. And so I, I do appreciate both. I think I agree with you is that there is a nostalgia to that sort of like mystery of what's going to happen next. When now to find out what's going to happen next, you just click the button and you're already there. And I also do remember, I remember the first show that was built specifically for streaming, for binging, was House of Cards on Netflix, where they released the whole thing at once, because they were talking about how people who were catching up on things like Breaking Bad and Mad Men would just go get the DVDs and watch it all weekend. And so I remember they said that was our idea, just to release it all at once, because people watch shows over a weekend. And I remember thinking at the time, like, that'll never work. And now, look, I, clearly, I'm not great at predicting things like that. Yeah. And it's these things, it's like, do you want to enjoy a piece of art solo or do you want to enjoy it, enjoy it in community? And it's dependent on your mood. Uh, I think that streaming is largely an internal exercise. It's, it's very individual. You in the show, it's you in this intimate moment. And that's what it, what it allows you. These binges, you're on your own time frame, And that's the attraction. That's the draw. You feel more in control. You feel part of the creative process, basically. Yeah. When you decide how 
often I'm going to consume this and on what, on what timetable. So I think that that's a big appeal. And then I have never been a person who really enjoys street, um, binging with another person. Um, I, I, I'll do it. I like, I, I, there are shows my wife and I, we just rewatched The Leftovers uh, and that was fantastic. Great show. We just never have been able to get on the same pace uh, of what we need to do. And then it kind of turns into a chore or it turns into a discipline. Trying to line up your schedules. and yeah. Or it turns into appeasement and that takes all the fun out of it. Now I do like that. I enjoy that if it's a show that I've already seen and I'm introducing to her because I feel like I'm a little bit like her guide. I enjoy yeah, me too. the subtleties, the nuances, the clues about what's important because she's more of a second screen person during these things than I am. I enjoy really like sinking my teeth, absorbing, looking at all that stuff. So maybe it gets a little annoying. I'm sure it does, but I I enjoy participating in that role. But I do think like you're an insider almost kind of give, you know, and you can moderate clues and yeah, I'm Madeline is that way too. Like she didn't watch a whole lot of TV and you and I sit at home all day working, you know? And so there have been a lot of shows and I've, I've worked from home for over a decade now. So there's a lot of shows I've watched or at least had on in the background while I worked and stuff. And so she's catching up on a lot of my shows that I've watched. And she, so far I haven't steered her wrong. She says she hasn't complained about anything I've made her watch, which is a godsend because, you know, we're in pretty cramped quarters over here. And if I take her down to a bad show, I'm going to hear about it. But, you know, we've rewatched a lot of shows and, and it is fun, like sort of being like getting to introduce someone to something that you really like. And I will do a thing with friends, by the way, because you're right. You say you don't like watching with somebody else, but I like having someone to talk about a good show with. And this is kind of why we're doing this, I think, is I like being able to have a discussion about the thoughts and what's going on in the writing. And I appreciate really good writing. It's our job. Um, And so I will tell friends like, hey, I'm binging this. You should watch it, too. That way we'll be able to like compare notes and talk and stuff. And I, I'm kind of a nerd that way. I like being able to bounce ideas off of somebody. So um, sometimes they go along, sometimes they get lost and we're not all on the same schedules. So, but I do enjoy being able to do that and sort of experience it with somebody else and, and both be like, yeah, that was really good. Or God, why are we watching this? You know, it, it just depends on the, on the day. And I think as we go through our list, which we're going to start shortly here, um, I think what'll be interesting about it is there's so much there's gonna be so much diversity in what's on there maybe these are some of the basic shows that everybody uh got caught up on or or once since right. in, in the binging departments but our unique stories about when we started watching them and also how we came to it delivery yeah. system because i have i have a few that were not just fire up netflix or fire up yep Amazon. same they were through some old media delivery system so i'm very excited to see like to hear about your experience watching some of these shows, which I'm sure that are part of our shared um, experience, Do you, but we've never like talked about like what, how you did it. Yeah. That in. Okay. So is the first show you ever binged on your list? Uh, I would say, yes, it is. Okay. Then we'll talk about it then. Cause I have a question about it when we get there. Let's, by the way, we haven't seen each other's lists. So this is going to be an interesting reveal for both of us. I know Kyle pretty well. So, and he knows me pretty well. So it's going to be interesting to see. We have no idea. And it'll tell you a lot about your history watching shows and stuff. So uh, let's dive in. I want to know what your number seven is on this list. Well, as you just mentioned, you asked if the first show that I binged, uh, it actually was not lost. If I open up the parameters a little bit um, to something that I consider binging, 
Did you, I have a, I have a question real quick. You ranked them by your fastest that you watched them, right? The fastest and most aggressive I was to consume. Right, okay. So perhaps, I'm just making sure we did it the same way. Yeah. Okay. Perhaps cool. it wasn't like in a 12 hour span. It was about my appetite to start and finish and get through and how much of my day was consumed about fair enough to get to this and the overall joy it brought me. Because I think sitting down there, like, I, I mean, if you have a, a series that's eight episodes uh, and you just rip through them in, in a, on a Sunday, yes, that is the quickest. But if it didn't, if the source material didn't leave an impression on you, it wasn't really the experience. So that's a for lot, sure. That's lot fair. Able to say number seven, I'm sure you do not have this on your list. And that okay. is, that is Dawson's Creek. Wow. That is, oh man, that's a throwback. So Dawson's, wow. Dawson's Creek was a WB show that I did yep. not watch in real time. Uh, it started in 1998 when I was 14. So I should have been in the target A range. I, I, I was a senior in high school. I don't started. exactly know why I, why I didn't watch it, but I didn't. And then it became uh, a rerun show on TBS and it aired from 10 a.m. Eastern time to noon. So there were two back-to-back episodes. Right. They started with the beginning of the series and they went chronologically, which I think is something that I used to love when cable channels did. They basically yeah. used to let you binge it by putting two episodes on a day in order. Uh, so it wasn't luck of the draw. And that's how I caught Dawson's Creek. So it was about people who were my age uh, going through the things I was going through. I think I started watching it in like 2014 when I was a sophomore in college. I had a job uh, unloading UPS uh, FedEx trucks. I'm sorry. Uh, got Wait, what year? What year was it? I think I think this would have been in uh, 2004. Oh, 2004. You said 2014. I was like, what? No, no 2004. No, 2004. Okay. 2004. So was it- was the show over by the time you started watching it or was it still, was there like a season left or something like that? No, it was, it was over. It had just, okay. just so they put it in chronological order. And I, I had a job unloading trucks at FedEx early in the morning. I had to get there at like four 30 and I worked until nine 30 and it was hard work, Ryan. It was like trucks would come in and you had to unload thousands and thousands of packages turning and carrying it. And it was like, it was great because at that age it was like, Oh, I don't need a gym membership. Uh, but I was exhausted uh, by the time it was done. And then I also had a job that started at two o'clock. So I had a few hours to kill in between every single day because uh, I felt like I probably worked like six days a week in college. I was, I was really keen on making the money. The point is I was tired. I would go get a big gas station coffee and mix it up uh, with like a lot of cream and sugar. And I would go <laughs> home and I would just crash and I would watch Dawson's Creek from 10 to noon, and it would be my decompression hour. Uh, I don't nap, so it was basically served as my awake nap, and I would get caught in the zone out, yeah. And I really identified myself as a Dawson Leary type um, at that point in my life. Um, with time, I realized I'm more of a Pacey. Uh, nice. But at that time, I really identified with his struggles. Uh, I, I, it, The show spoke to me. And if you remember, it was written in the most... Um, flowery unrealistic way that people spoke it was extremely intelligent to the point where it was like super annoying it was like they went through with a a thesaurus uh it It was like overwritten yeah it reads a lot like my writing before i uh 
do a second edit and be like, am I trying too hard at this point? <laughs> I really identified that they just went for it. And, and it was, yeah. uh, it was a choice that they did. And, and I just have such fond memories of being doled out 10 hours a week uh, of, of this series. And it, it was, it was just this, it was just this time in my life. There was 128 episodes. So it took a while to get through. I mean, they weren't playing on weekends. It would be preempted. Yeah. By- that was back when, that was back when TV shows had like 30 episodes a season. Like yeah, there's 128 down- episodes. And of course yeah. it, it takes them from high school and then all up into college. So uh, it was just fun developing crushes, developing animosity. Uh, Which it- one was your girl? Come on. Gretchen. Gretchen. Interesting. Yeah. Everyone I knew loved Katie Holmes at that point. I, like she was. never did it for me. It was, it was, it yeah. was, and I was, I was a well, Some people I grew up with knew Michelle Williams on that. Sh- like she's from San Diego and they had known her and hung out with her. And then she went and did that show and got super famous and never talked to them again. But it was <laughs> like, so we all watched because like people knew her. And then I remember being a freshman in college and everybody would watch it every week back when it, cause that was when it was super crazy popular. And so all the, we lived in an apartment building it was a dorm but an apartment building we had four people living and there was a girl's apartment next to ours then a guy's then a girl's you know so everybody would pile into this girl's apartment and watch Dawson's Creek every week and it was you know budding writer at the time I remember thinking nobody talks like that but it was still it was it like had you it had you definitely my seventh uh was Cobra Kai I watched the first two seasons of that show in I want to say a day and a half because they're each about 21 minutes and I just booked through that show I was a huge karate kid fan as a kid I watched all three of them I lived in Okinawa Japan for three years so karate kid 2 was it wasn't filmed in Okinawa but it was supposed to be happening there and I remember as a kid being like I lived there you know and and was so obsessed with that series as a kid and I grew up right when it was like the target demographic. I was a little young for it, but we used to rewatch it all the time. And so when they came out with the show, I was not expecting any. I was expecting it's a YouTube show. I was expecting it to be terrible. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give it a chance. It is so pitch perfect and funny. And there's good drama. The writing is perfect. I love the sort of homages to the original, but they kind of are tongue in cheek with, you know, how stupid parts of it were and things like that. I love that show. I have not watched season three yet. We are going to start that, I think, this weekend. But the first two seasons of that show, I watched literally in a day and a half because they're such short episodes and I was obsessed and churned through it. And then I rewatched it again afterwards because I enjoyed it so much. It was just, it was kind of, for the most part, kind of happy and positive and brought me back to a really good time in my life. And, you know, the fact that they got these people back to do it again and that they care about it as much as, I did as a kid, you know, is, and you know, it's one of those things where like, I hadn't watched a karate kid movie in 20 years or more. And I got every reference just because it was so ingrained in me as a kid. So I love that show. And that was an incredibly fast binge for me. And it did not take long. It wasn't a long, you know, dedicated binge. It was fast. Have you seen the show? Well, here's what's so beautiful about this list. Not only have I not seen the show, I've never seen a single bit of Karate Kid content. Wow. Um, I put my five-year-old son uh, the other night. He was watched, he watched the original Karate Kid when he was uh, 
when he was was trying to get him to calm down in the basement and get some, uh, some, some mental time for myself, but I have never seen it. It's just one of those blind spots. And it also, that is a big surprise to me that it's on your list because I feel like I know you fairly well. I just was not expecting that choice. Is the, is the appeal driven by the nostalgia for the good times you had uh, watching the show when you were a kid and, and, and hundred percent that and that seems like it's analogous to, to, they basically made a show around that entire idea on Netflix, which was a huge success in stranger things. And then it's, yeah. they went to this and they're like, well, here's what we can do. We can make a show that's not necessarily creating a new world set in this time frame that you and I both grew up in. We can take these beloved people from that, that generation know and identify already and in, in, in our, having an investment yes. in, and we can build a show around them. I think it's so cool as someone who has not seen the show. Here's one thing I can appreciate from the outside. I love the humility of the actors and the people who are associated with this franchise, which the movies are okay. They're a little campy, but they, yes. from what I understand, they, they leaned into the camp. They leaned into the thing yes. and these people weren't too proud to run from it. And they're like, let's reimagine this beloved piece of Americana and it seems like their heart is in it and they're trying to make it smart and they're trying to make it resonate uh, with, a, with a different generation. Does it, does it appeal to kids as well? Yes. Like teenagers. Yeah, it, would, it definitely would. And then it's the kind of thing where I will say this is that uh, Ralph Macchio has talked about it and been like, I don't want to do a karate kid thing. Like it's so like, and he read the script and he said, this is good though. And he said, if, if Billy Zabka would come back and do it, the bad guy from the Karate Kid would come back and do it, he would do it. And they got him to come back. And it's like both guys had different things going on. You know, this wasn't like they were pining away for 20 years to do a Karate Kid remake or whatever. What I love is that they didn't reboot it, like you said. They brought back the real people. And then it's almost a reboot with the kids. You know, so you're creating that Karate Kid feud from the first movie but with a younger generation while also telling the story of what the adults are up to. And just, you know, it it has that thing of like the people you thought were cool 30 years ago may not be so cool now, you know, and it's, it's just an interesting, the way they did it. You're right. There is so much humility from those guys to be like, all right, let's just lean into this. Like let's lean into the crazy. There's one scene and I don't want to spoil it for you. I, I do think you should check it out. I think it's so there's heart. It's funny. You do have to watch the Karate Kid movies, especially the first one to get it. But there's so much like there's one part. There's this whole huge scene in Karate Kid where it's the wax on wax off thing. And like Daniel LaRusso has to paint the fence a certain way and he has to do this or whatever. And Billy Zabka's opening a karate dojo and he's like cleaning it up. And the kid he's training comes in and goes, hey, do you want me to paint these walls in any specific ways? He's like, no, I don't care. Like, you know, and it's just leaning into the opposite. Like it's you know, like it doesn't, none of this matters, you know? And um, so, yeah, I would recommend that show to anybody, especially if you have a karate kid nostalgia, like I did and grew up watching those movies. I mean, you know, we would wake up for school in the morning and, you know, my dad was off, was a surgeon in the Navy. So he was off to work really early at the hospital. My mom had two kids to, to deal with. And so we'd wake up early. She'd just push in a movie and hit play while we got ready and got ready. So I've watched the karate kid hundreds of times, you know, just different parts of it or whatever, uh, throughout my, my childhood. And so I love that show. It's so good. And I, I do recommend it. I, I think you got to get with it, Kyle, and get on that train. 
I, I will add it to my uh, I'll add it to my to do list, which is ever growing these days. Uh, <laughs> number six movie is something that I would not um, recommend for children, and I also don't think has lessons that need to be revisited or visited for the first time. And I'm pretty sure this one's probably on your list as well. I have it fairly low on mine because I didn't particularly care for the series, but because Ooh. it was a phenomenon, it is Tiger King. Uh, yeah. Is that on your list as well? It is on my list. And, and there's a reason it's much higher and it, it has to do with the intensity of the binge. Okay. So let, let's address that. I, I will, I will explain my <laughs> spot at number six and you can save where you put it on your list for later, but you can just make the case for it. Yeah, sure. Um, and then we'll revisit it in a little bit. Tiger King to me was something that wasn't really about the move, wasn't really about the series. It was about the time in our society that um, it came out. Yep. An indelible stretch of our history, uh, as dumb as that sounds, because it was the number one most important um, media thing out there uh, for that brief period of time when it came out. It's all anybody was talking about. Um, it was an infinitely memeable movie. All the social conversation was about it. If you didn't see, you know, I keep saying movie, I'm going to say movie with show. I'm going to say them interchangeably because if you're <laughs> giving me 10 hours of a television show, it's essentially a movie. It so feels like a long movie. I, yeah. I, I don't even apologize for that. My brain kind of reads it as both, but it gave us the opportunity to talk about something that wasn't the coronavirus and wasn't being locked in our rooms. And we had to understand to understand that modicum of a fun conversation. We had to watch the show should, so we could get into it. And it had the added element of this is a crazy show and I know it's only going to get crazy yeah. year down the line. And, I, and you couldn't, you couldn't stop like you could, because the way it was structured was, was brilliant that it, it wasn't like you could just be like, all right, we'll leave off there. You know, it, it didn't, it's not a chapter in a book. Like it was, by the way, just, just to clarify for everybody, it came out on March 20th and the world shut down on about March 13th. So it had a captive audience with nothing to do. And it was, you're right. It was insane how that permeated the world. Yeah. I think that it's, Intense craziness actually is one of the things I didn't really care for the for in it. I, I grew a bit tired of it. Uh, I didn't enjoy hanging out with any of the personalities in it outside of a, a, a select few. There were only a few decent human beings in it, I thought. And uh, being around uh, the villains is, is certainly fun. Uh, but then I think one of the things that really did disturb me is the people that you think were good guys were just toned down bad guys. Uh, so I think that it was really, it made a nice comment on society as a whole. Um, if that movie, let me ask you this. Here's my, my question about Tiger King. Uh, we can get back to how much you enjoy it. Uh, and we're yeah. going to run the band, I promise. Let me push back a little bit by saying, if that comes out now, does it come anywhere close to being the phenomenon that it is after we are beaten down by 10 months of this thing? No, not at all. It was it was 100 percent of the time. The other one that came out around that time was Love is Blind, the dating show. And everybody was talking about that because, again, we were a captive audience. I think that the last dance, the Michael Jordan documentary benefited from that as well. I think people would have watched that. But again, they released it early because nobody had anything to watch. And it wasn't like these 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 companies like Netflix and Amazon or whoever prepared a bunch of shows to release at this time. 
you know, it, they were surprised just like everybody and they pushed stuff out. And uh, I think that, yes, it had it had so much to do with the moment in history. I, I will remember where I was watching that forever. We ordered dim sum from a place down the street and we sat here all day and watched it. And it's just we, because we had nothing else to do. That was when the, it was a lockdown in your house. Don't leave. And and so you had to find stuff to do. And it I mean, that I, I'll just go ahead and tell you, Madeline and I binged all seven episodes in eight hours. We stopped to eat and that's it. It was one day, eight hours. We watched the whole thing. I'm not proud of that, but it's, you know, it is. And you're right about the bad guys. Like everybody in that there were, you know, some people who worked for them who seemed like nice people that were just caught up in this world. But when the main people you focused on, you were picking like, well, I'm kind of for that person, but you realize it was just degrees of evil and degrees of awfulness. And so, you know, in a world where everyone's crazy, a mildly crazy person sounds sane, you know, and it's, that's exactly what it was. And it was, stunning how everybody got sucked into that. The memes lasted weeks. I mean, the, the stories coming out afterward drew out for a couple weeks. Joel McHale hosted a post show, you know, like shout out to Joel McHale, but he shows hosted like a roundup show of that. And the crazy thing to me was that networks had turned a documentary about him down for a long time. Netflix gets it and just blows up. I mean, it's, it was, it really is something about timing and, you know, just coming out at the right time and, and, and everything sort of falling into place. We wanted to watch something crazy that was different than the crazy that was going on in our world at that time. You're exactly right. It was a sense uh, of normalcy brought about by watching the most abnormal people out there. And it's funny how those things too converge. So what was number six on your list? Uh, I'm going with Mad Men. And the, re- the only reason Mad Men isn't higher is because I didn't binge the whole series. I, I'm kind of degrading it a little. I watched, I, I, before we started talking, I think I told you I watched the first season. Um, I actually watched the first two seasons because I saw all the, I love the AMC shows. I was always, you know, a hardcore Breaking Bad fan, always, you know, with whatever they were bringing out. And we've seen those shows have gotten better and better over time and, and, and just great. But that was sort of at the height of the AMC you know, leading the world in, in television. And I had seen ads for Mad Men season three and Mad Men season. Three. I kind of knew the story, but I didn't know all the intricacies of it. And I watched the first episode. And I thought it was the best pilot I'd ever seen. I thought it was the best first episode of television for a show that I had ever seen. I thought before that Sopranos was my number one, but I thought, and it, it just so happened that the guy who wrote it had written on Sopranos for a while. Um, and I was just so drawn in by that first episode where he does the, the huge performative, uh, you know, thing for Lucky Strike and, you know, his life. And then at the end, you see he's, he's sort of like a playboy in the city. And then all of a sudden at the end, you the big reveal that he has a family that he goes to. And you're just sort of like your head explodes. And I just thought I watched the first two seasons of that maybe in two days and it stayed with me. And it was the kind of show where I'd watch it. I'd watch a season of it and then I'd rewatch the season. And the thing I loved about that show, the writing was so good. There was no wait. There was never a wasted scene. If there was a scene that they didn't refer back to somewhere or didn't plug back somewhere into the episode, I'd be like, oh, that was kind of a weird scene. Three episodes later, they'd refer back to it. You know, it, it was all a closed circle. And I think as writers, and we're writers to some degree, those, you know, when you read a good piece that like 
the writer is it's well thought out and it's all planned out. And then they kind of, at the end of it, the beginning comes back to the end and, and, or, or it all just kind of all the puzzle pieces of the piece you're reading kind of fit together. That's how I felt with Mad Men. I thought it was one of the best written television shows I've ever watched. And the acting is great. All of that, of course, that goes without saying the directing, the, the, the way they shot it, all of that stuff is so great in that show, but the writing specifically it felt thick. It felt like you were going through a stew, not a soup or, or like water. You know, it felt like it was almost tiring to watch because it was so good and there was so much to catch up on or to like pay attention for. So that's that's number six on mine. I know that's on your list as well. Uh, you can reveal the number later, but let's talk about Mad Men. How did did that have an impact on you and how fast did you binge it? Yeah, it's it is high on my list. Uh, the mechanics of me binging it is I remember when it came out, um, I remember the people who covered um, advertising. There was an advertising reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, an eccentric guy when I was there. And there were a lot of pieces written about Mad Men and how it reflected to reality. I had no interest to watch it. I thought it was going to be a slow, plotting adult show that I didn't understand. Um, so I came to it late and it was maybe four seasons in, and then my, my wife turned me on to watching that. Uh, and I did, and it exceeded my expectations. Uh, what you said is right. It, it hits the nail on the head. I watched the premiere, um, the pilot last night and it's amazing when it is, he turned, he drives back to Ossining and you see his family. It's just, it's just beautiful. You you're devastated, but you're you're titillated. It's just like it reminds you're like, I want to unpack that right now. (laughs) And and it sets a promise for the series that they more than fulfilled. Um, They they swung for the fence and they're like, they're, we're going to, Matthew Weiner was like, I'm going to make something that is going to be super cerebral, super thick, uh, a, a challenge that if you're not an intelligent person, I don't think that you could have a great time watching Mad Men. Maybe I 100% you could, agree. Maybe, you can't casually watch it. Maybe the either. plot would bring you along a little bit, but you really need to sink your teeth in there. And I think that what's so great about Mad Men, um, you, you mentioned as someone who, who writes, you were attracted to it. Tyler Duffy, who used to write for The Big Lead, he used to uh, write recaps of Mad Men after the new episodes end, aired on Sunday night. They would come out Monday afternoon. And it would be like his first or second post of the day. And I know that he like poured all of his like scholasticness and, and his ability to write fantastic writer. And his reviews like mirrored the episode and and studied the themes of like histories. And to this day, I think it's some of the best stuff that's ever appeared on our site. Uh, I used to read that before I worked at the big lead. I read those for years. They were so good. Absolutely. And it was such a great conversation show um, that you could go back like, and it it is timeless because I think when you set a show in the, in, in the past, it makes it more timeless it doesn't feel contemporary. Like you go back to that period. Everybody's going back to the period. That makes me want to go and read like stuff that was written about season two. Uh, it doesn't feel as stale because these stories ended long ago. This became appointment television for me. I did not watch yep. the whole series um, binging, but it was just so great to discover this new thing in my life. And then uh, I had such a fantastic um experience watching the new ones uh, that it made me thankful for the binging. Um, Yeah. 
what I think is fascinating, you mentioned the pilot and what I think is fascinating about the pilot is how there are elements of it that are different than starting in episode two, because you can clearly tell, you know, the way they make television, if they don't get ordered straight to series, they just make a pilot and they sell it to TV stations. And so many outlets turn down Mad Men. They wound up finding a home at AMC. But if you look at that, they're kind of going wide appeal at parts of it, like the bachelor party. They all they say some cheesy line about we're the best ad men in New York. Hell, the world, you know, and it's kind of like it's kind of a cheesy lit way to like let the audience know, oh, these guys are good at what they do or they think very highly of themselves or whatever. Whereas the rest of the show is very subtle. So it's interesting that like they felt like they had to go mass appeal and then they picked up the series and the show takes itself much more seriously. There's funny parts, but it, it just like the writing is so much deeper after the first episode, but the first episode is still so good. Like it's just the twists, the perform his performance, like John Hamm's performance in that pitch for lucky strike. It's almost like he's talking to about his life, but he's also talking about, you know, this, that, or the other. And it's, it's just one of those things where it's like to think of the fact that like he was doing that as what was a relatively unknown actor getting that stage at that part of his career is also fascinating. And that's what, kind of drew me in too, is it's like, who is this guy? Like, he's really good. And then, you know, all the other characters on the show are so good and, you know, everybody acted so well and all of that. It just, it draws you in. It was a, cons- it was a consuming show. Like the material, the material elevated the acting because I, I agreed. I don't think that we would be sitting here and say that Christina Hendricks is one of the great actors of our generation. And yet she was fantastic on it. And played just an iconic character now. You know, like it's absolutely and John John Slattery, like you go down so good. I'll give you I'll give you the perfect example. January Jones, maybe one of our least heralded and frankly technically uh gifted actors. She played I mean, she played a huge role in her And 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 the range she showed at different elements of Betty Draper's life. Like it's, we could do a whole podcast on that show and maybe we should, we should, maybe we should count down the seven best episodes because it's such a great show. But one thing I agree with you on the elevating. And the other thing I agree with you on I, that I, that needs to be pointed out was the casting was perfect. Like they got people who fit the characters so well, and they may not be like that in their real life. But they got people who could play the characters so perfectly and some of it's luck i mean of course some of it is is luck in that way they even got lucky with the kids they cast as as his kids wound up being good actors and actresses so uh, we could talk about that show for 10 hours i feel like but it is so good and it's it's at number six on my list and what we can even mention a little more about it when we get to its spot on your list because i i love that show but um what was number five on your list kyle number five is the most fun I've ever had watching television in my entire life. And that is the wow. season one of secession. Oh, great. Um, it is a show that came to me through rumors. I feel like when I started watching it, very few people were watching. I know everybody says that like an indie band, but <laughs> yeah. it was one of those things where it was like, it was not very popular at, at the very beginning, even through like maybe the first five episodes that it was on HBO. And then kind of this groundswell happened. So the extent of my streaming was probably eight episodes out of the 10 that were in season one. So I caught up for the, the finale and, and, the, and the penultimate episode. Sure. But it was such a joy. And I say that as someone who would give... Su- the show, if you somehow haven't seen it, if you're still 
on the fence, you have to get through like two and a half episodes to trust yourself that this yeah. is going to be, for lack of a better word, awesome. Uh, <laughs> like you keep being like, all right, well, when is it going to happen to me? When am I going to, when is my body? When's the light going to go on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then once it does, it is just pedal to the metal and you're like, oh, this is what the show is. I get it. And I don't even want to spoil like what that realization for people is because they can get to it on their own. And I think that it's more rewarding, but when you realize how you're supposed to feel about these people and whether it's okay for you to enjoy that loathsomeness, uh, whether or not there's a comeuppance, it is so much fun to watch people do bad things, to do them smartly, to use awful language and to like find the most cutting things to like, hurt the people who they love the most, the very most it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, it reminds me a little bit of veep without the funny. Like these are all awful people who hate each other and are cutting each other down constantly, but it's like, it's funny, but it's not like, you know, you have those veep string of insult in string of obscenity insults. It's just, they're, they're just inserting a million daggers, like small, tiny daggers in each other. There's no, if you haven't watched this show, there's no good people on that show. It's, you know, like it's, they're all awful. And it's the, you know, and again, it sort of reminds me of the Tiger King thing we were just talking about. It's like you start rooting for people and then you realize, well, why am I rooting for that? That's a bad person, but they're less bad than the other people, you know? And it is really, it's a, it's a wonderfully written show again, an acted show. Uh, I love watching on HBO and, and, and Madeline, I binge this during quarantine uh, because we'd heard so much about it. We watched both, uh, both seasons of it. It's not on my list because it took us a long time. Um, but certainly after the second season, I'm definitely all hundred percent in on the show and, and obsessed with it, but it took a while to come to that. Um, I agree with you that you have to make it through a few episodes to kind of realize what's going on and, and how you're supposed to feel about it. But man, it is it is so good and so well acted and and so well written. And you're right, it is a consuming show while you're watching it. You're very in that world, um, and and it is it's great. And and I watched it. I streamed it on HBO as well. And it is, oof, I mean, that's that's one of the best ones on television right now for sure. I think the quickest summation I can give for the show is one of our coworkers. I recommended it to him, and I essentially said I would stake my life that you're going to enjoy this show. Yeah. And I mean, first of all, I don't think that the murder would be in the question. I don't think it's going to follow through <laughs> on this case. <laughs> but I do feel confident enough with a certain type of personality to recommend that show that you will not be upset that you went down this avenue, that you were introduced to these people. And I also think that like to a much much smaller extent, it is a very online show as well. Um, I mean, the the gifts, the memes, uh, yeah. the, the, the conversation. I mean, I did a wrap, I did a wrap up uh, on season two in real time. That was a little bit uh, different than, than the Mad Men because I, it wasn't as quite as high minded, but it was a show that like inspired me to write about because it was so much, so much fun. What did you have? Yeah. In five? I had Godless which was a Western on Netflix that I, it, you know, it got buzz when it came out, but we, I, I watched, I was living alone at the time. 
Um, I watched that over a weekend and it is one of those that is just so well, it has so many good actors in it. It's so well acted. It's so well written. It's by Scott Frank who later did Queens Gambit and his first sort of foray for Netflix was, was godless. And it is a Western about a town that is filled with women because all the men die in a mining disaster. And then it has Jeff Daniels as a bad guy, which Jeff Daniels never plays a bad guy. And so that was fascinating. He was so good in it. Uh, Merritt Weaver plays a sort of, sort of a, a, like a lesbian who's in charge of security in the town. Scoop McNary plays a, a sheriff who's going blind. Sam Waterston plays a U.S. Marshal. Like, and then Jack O'Connell and Michelle Dockery from uh, Downton Abbey play really good characters in it as well. I recommend it to anybody. It is such a good, especially if you like a Western, it's Westerns have that sort of slow burn to them, but this is seven episodes and it feels like you get enriched by something every episode. Uh, The soundtrack is also, the score for it is incredible. I listen to it while I write sometimes because it's so good at like the up and the down. And it is one of those shows that draws you in immediately, but there's action there's really smart dialogue, really smart writing, and it's it's 100% worth the investment of your time. Um, Jeff Daniels won the Emmy for uh, limited series for actor and, and Merritt Weaver won for actor as well. So I, I fully recommend that one. That was that was a really fun one to watch. And if you haven't watched it, Kyle, you need to. Have so again, you're 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 I'm, I'm flying blind on this. I, I missed this one as well, but I'm seeing that it's seven episodes. So that's really short. So what can you tell me about how quickly you consumed them? Like, are we talking? It was, one on, why is this one specifically on your list? Is it because it was kind of a short one that you just ripped through and said, oh, I wish yes. I did more? Uh, and then secondly, is, is it neatly tied with a bow in that you knew there was only going to be one season? And that affect you going and consuming it as something that was going to have uh, an end to the story? I did not know it was only going to have one season. Uh, and, and I did rip through it very fast. I ripped through it in, um, in, in probably, I think it was two days, you know, four, one, three, the next day or something like that, but it all consumed like my mind. Like I was thinking about it constantly and thinking about my interest in the show and thinking about, you know, what was going on and the, the characters. And then the thing, the funny thing is about a week later, I went through and watched it again because there was so much that I had thought I had seen. And, and there's so much depth to the characters that I wanted to kind of investigate them again. So I binged it twice, you know, in the span of like two weeks, just because again, it is quick. It's a seven episode one, but to do it over a weekend. And then about a week later, I was still thinking about it. And so I watched it again to just kind of, you know, un, you know, unpack a lot of the things that were in there. And so it was an intense experience. And I think that's why it stays high on my list is because of, how intense it was. And then uh, I actually, I, Madeline isn't a big fan of Westerns or whatever. I got her to watch it and she's just like, Oh my God, that was amazing. You know, and uh, during quarantine that happened a few months ago. So I, I think that it was just the intensity with which I was obsessed with it and watching it that I put that on there. Uh, as, as you said, you know, how often you think about it is also part of, you know, the intensity of that, of that experience. So I, I was, Totally sucked in and, and even watched it twice. I've now watched it three times because I watched it with, with my girlfriend as well. There's something to be said about a vibe and you're describing it like it just Westerns specifically have a vibe that you can just kind of like melt into and you can yeah. like 
scenery wash around you. I, I, I think of kind of the last thing I watched like that, that reminded me, you know, Westworld had those moments where it was just, yep. I just love beautiful. This, this world is beautiful. I want to get lost. And I think of all the like Western stuff I've, I've seen before. Uh, I, I ran across Jeremiah Johnstone, uh, Jeremiah Johnson, I'm sorry, on, on cable for the first time that I'd never seen. And it was in the, in, it was in the middle and I watched about 45 minutes of it. And I was just like captivated by this world. I was just like, it's so still, like, I feel like this is, I feel like I'm outside watching the show. I'm not on my couch. And that is such a great thing to be transported to like beautiful outside area. Yeah. And it's just, there's a stillness, but also like just kind of a still beauty to it. And that happens in this as well. And there's a lot of like you know, there's a whole thing with like wild horses and things like that and things you don't get to see every day living where we live and, and doing the things we do. You don't get to see just wild horses running in the middle of nowhere, you know? And so it's the, the way it's shot is great and all that it has all those classic Western uh, elements that is, you know, it's, it's so great. And, and uh, I, I recommend, again, recommend it to anybody. So number four on my list is something that I, I'm going to guess is also on yours. It takes place often outside, but the vibe is noticeably more chaotic and scary. And that's Breaking Bad, which might be one of my, if not my favorite series of all time. It's, it's close. Um, Breaking Bad, just to get in, Breaking Bad is not on my list because I watched it every week. I was one of those people who was there from the beginning. Okay, so that's, that's perfect. I knew that this thing existed uh, much like Mad Men, but I knew that I was behind. And I want to say the way that I got caught up on this was old school as well with reruns on AMC. I think that AMC played a rerun uh, after maybe season four of the show or whatever it may be. I don't know the specifics, but it was like over Christmas or it was, or it was at New Year's because I was at my in-laws. And I mean, I love my in-laws, but being there, there is certainly more time spent uh, watching TV, whether communal, sure. or maybe just kind of like cloistered up in, in the room uh, by myself. So I really enjoyed the escapism there, but it was so thrilling. Like when you watch, when you watch Breaking Bad and you didn't get the experience of, of being able to do this, which probably was better for your health. I think it was <laughs> yeah. a bad situation for who my mind and my body to experience Breaking Bad in the way that I did, because I probably went through it the fastest of anything based on how many episodes there were. Uh, and it's, it's such a deep show too. So it's hard and like going through it fast. And I, I have rewatched it as a binge before. And I know it's sort of like, it's so much to take in. And then you're taking in so much more with another episode and then so much more. So yeah, that's gotta be crazy. I think I've done it three times. I think I've binged it three times um, and it doesn't get old. It, it is fantastic, but it is such an adrenaline ride and seeing these things for the first, the first time is so amazing. And, and though mm. I watched the last few seasons live and I love the week to week discourse, I love the writing about the show. I love just, yeah sinking into it there is no better feeling in my mind than knowing there's going to be a new episode of a show you can't wait to watch on sunday night yeah. at like eight or nine uh eastern and you just forget about it and then you remember it at like six and it's like, <laughs> you're oh, like oh yeah. my day is made this yeah. is the best thing that could ever happen it's like better than christmas and i miss that and i miss that feeling i miss 
getting so emotionally invested in these characters um, with commercial breaks that I know that's crazy to think I watched it with commercial breaks when I mean, there's we'll get a spoiler here. If you haven't seen Breaking Bad, stop listening right now. I'm going to do a quick spoiler. But when Hank meets his demise out in the desert, actual tears come out of my eyes in a way that is like not trickling. I'm crying like the guy died in real life. It was one of the more affecting things I've ever seen on television. Television yep. is like this guy died. Like I'm like I thought I really saw a guy die. Like this might as well be like this is it's a devastating moment. Like it's it, the way it's shot. Like it's not just that Hank dies. It's the way it happens, and you know you're not expecting it either. It's such a shock. Like some of those people, like you knew certain people on that show. We're going to end up meeting their demise or end up, you know, in a bad way or whatever. And then the sec he was not one of them and it came out of nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. So Breaking Bad is just an adrenaline ride. I think it's a show that's meant to be watched fast. You're meant to live hard. You're supposed to have, you know, you're supposed to go a hundred miles per hour. I think it would have been every bit of the phenomenon had it come a little bit later in the cycle and had been released on a streaming service agreed to go through AMC. I think it would have been a thing like, Hey, the new series is dropping. You got to watch this thing. Like everybody's staying in and watching it and and, and going crazy. Uh, I, I, I fully agree. I, I, you know, and and here's the thing is I'm going to have that experience with better call Saul because I watched the first season of better call Saul and then just life intervened and I haven't caught up. So if we did this podcast in six months, better call Saul might be, my next might be on my list. It's I'm, I'm really expecting to have that experience, but um, I, uh, so yeah, I think that, that you're right about breaking bad. And there was a, there was actually a time when I missed a few episodes in a row cause I'd been busy on Sunday nights. And so I did the old cable on demand went through and watched some of, uh, you know, to catch up. And it is, it is a thrilling ride at every, and I also, what's so funny is it is such a thrilling ride that the episodes where they slow things down end up being some of the better episodes because you get the actors like a fly is a great episode where they're stuck in a meth lab and you just get so much acting straight out of Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul and just this interaction between the two of them. It's just, you know, the, those episodes where they kind of slow down, it's not like they slow down and nothing happens. It, they slow down and you get these deep internal discussions and, and things like that. And they wind up being so affecting. Um, Four on my list is another one from Scott Frank and it just came out and it happened over a weekend where Madeline and I had nothing going on and we watched Queens Gambit in a day and a half. I mean, it was, and I thought that was a really, really good show, a really interesting show, a different show. And it was the one that everybody talked about this year is this is coming out. You're going to love it. This is coming out. You're going to love it. This is going to come coming out. You're going to love it. Friend of mine does a TV podcast, uh, where he talks about television shows and binging and it's great. And he, uh, he got an early look at this and told me, you need to watch this when it comes out, you're going to like it. If you like Godless, you're going to like it. And so I have Godless in this back to back cause they're by the same guy. Um, and Anya Taylor joy is so good in it. She is just arresting and, you know, magnetic. And she plays a, um, an orphan who turns into a great chess champion and she's dealing with, you know, her, the awfulness of her childhood and living in an orphanage. And, uh, you know, then the family that adopts her has its own problems. And so she's dealing with lots of substance abuse issues and addiction while also on the surface being this brilliant chess player. And so it's just a really, 
fascinating look at somebody who's at the top of their game, but falling apart. And at the same time, all the, um, the characters that come in and out of her life are so rich. It almost feels, I don't know if you're a Coen brothers fan, but every in, in the Coen brothers, what's really interesting in their movies is you feel like the side characters that come in and out could have an entire movie just made about them. You know, they're so interesting and so rich and so fully developed that wait, I want to follow that guy. Why is he leaving? You know, and that sort of felt this way uh, during watching Queen's Gambit, all the people that came in and out, you're sort of like, well, I want to know more about them. And it's, you know, it's hard to do that in a seven episode TV series, but you felt like there was so much thought and care put into this. And then the writing is great and the acting is fantastic. And it's about a subject I care not about. It's about grand chess champions, but you're just like in it and you're, and you just can't wait for her to like get to the next tournament she's going to do and what's going to happen with her and her mom and what's going to happen with the guy she's dating and what's going to happen with, these other people that are her rivals, but also kind of her friends. And I, I thought it was fantastic. And, and uh, I would recommend that to anybody. It's one of my best from 2020, certainly. Uh, and, and I'm sure it'll get just destroyed when it comes around to award season. Yeah. It's something that I haven't made time for. It seems like uh, it's, I've wanted to watch it. I don't know why uh, we, we haven't got to it. Um, it's something that, I mean, I understand that the world building it is really fantastic and that the, yeah. the character development is, it really is what buoys it. Um, I've noticed a trend with you. It seems like you kind of like the more manageable series. Uh, the shorter series for you is something that, that really appeals, uh, really appeals to you because is it because do you think that you're attracted to it because it's slightly easy to conquer because it's like, it's not too much. There's a lot to be said about like, there's nothing more heartbreaking, heartbreaking than learning to love a show and then feeling it lose its fastball in, in later. Yeah. Subbing its toe. I, mean, I, I have definitely gleaned into the miniseries like over the last couple of years and, and maybe I'm getting older and that's just manageable. But, but I feel like I also, with some of the classic binge shows, like, like breaking bad, for example, and Sopranos and, you know, some of these I watched live and, you know, as they were coming out, or maybe I, I missed the first three and got on trend with them. Um, so I think that a lot of my hardcore binging has been more recent. And, and I feel like some of the best work Netflix is doing is in these shorter one-off series. And, but I agree. I mean, I, I do think that there's, there's a couple of those on my list. And, and I feel like when I get into one of these, I want to see what happens next. And it's like, if I'm on a Saturday and I got nothing to do and I don't, you know, we don't have kids. So let's just, let's just knock it out, you know? And, if, and, you know, you can get that done on a Saturday, whereas sometimes you're binging a show, you watch four episodes and then it's a week before you get a chance to watch another one. So the intensity of the binge, I feel like when there's an end date for me can be a lot higher because I'm sort of like, well, we only got three more to get through. We don't have four more seasons after this, you know? And so I feel like with both of us, my girlfriend and I were just very, like, oh, we've only got three left and it's 2 a.m. We're like, let's watch another one, you know? And she's, she's the one of us that gets up super early. She's up at like five and goes to spin class. And so if she looks at me and says, let's watch another, I'm like, well, let's go. You know, I'm, I'm all on this train. And I think that when you do see an end date on it, it's easier to, to get there, I think. And, and you know, again, it's easier. It, you run harder when you see a finish line sometimes than, than if you don't. Well, let's not spend too much time talking about the finish line and, and how, um, how our racers 
crossed it because number two <laughs> on my list is is lost. Um, oh, I understand classic that a flawed ending. Um, I understand that it did not answer the myriad questions that it posed. I know that if you go through it with a critical eye, there's a lot, there's a lot left. A lot of holes. Or that yeah. we can understand. It's my contention that we don't need answers. I don't think that that show is ever about them. I think that asking interesting questions and allowing people to ponder them, whether they figure them out or not, is equally valuable. Um, Lost is something that I discovered. Uh, I, I mentioned it earlier. I think it was probably like 24, uh, 23. I had never seen it. I, this was a roommate's DVDs had all the seasons. I forget exactly how far along the process we were, uh, but we just ripped through them. And she was watching it for the second time. I was watching it for the first time. And I was moved. I was captivated by this. Like, it felt like I was... It felt like I was spinning. Like you felt like you were there with them. It felt like nothing. Made felt like you were on that island with them you, for sure. You did yeah. you felt like you were there and like that you, you their story was your story and that your survival was kind of like dependent on them figuring it out. And it was just so magical. It just and and more than that though, it, it might have been the first show that was intentionally structured to have the big twist before commercial. I think that 24 did this really well. Yeah. Uh, probably a little bit before lost, but those are the, the big two I can remember being like, I mean, you know, the, you know, the lost music, like little, (laughs) like you can feel a show you're watching it. You can feel when they're going to commercial because it's like, there's there's that rising drama and something interesting or wild is going to happen or like, but if that happened, that must mean it's just one of those things where I couldn't believe the journey I was on. I didn't want it to end. I wanted to pull back every little like bush and see what was over there. Anytime, the layers, there new, yeah. anytime there was a new character introduced, I'm like all in. I'm like, let's hear about this person. I am yeah. ready to go. Too much to the point to the point where like there's like the rich guy who like steals a diamond or something and they die within the episode where they're like first introduced. You're just like, Oh man, that would have been a great character. Yeah. It's the same thing. You want to follow that, that trail. You want to pull that string. Yeah, absolutely. And going from hating John Locke and being like, this guy is so annoying. I, I cannot fathomly. I like, I don't understand this guy. I am a Jack guy. This guy is react. Jack is acting correctly. Locke is out of his mind. And then by the end of the series, me like, I guess I'm a lock. I yeah, guess, I guess Jack, <laughs> the twists are great. And yeah. there were an even better one with Sawyer. Sawyer is introduced yep. as this like hateable, you know, punchable guy that you're like, that has no redeeming qualities. And then he becomes like the rock. The like, heart of the show. Right. Yeah. It's like, I didn't see that coming. And like, I also didn't know Josh Holloway, I believe was his name. I was like, I didn't know he had it in them. Uh, just this one is so high because the journey I went on and then also the perfection the perfection of not reach of, of the binge was that I never needed the answers because I started watching live, like in the last season. Um, yeah. That one, I, I watched lost live, you know, I would fall behind, uh, you know, a couple episodes and then go on AM ABC's website and watch a couple to catch up. Um, but I watched that live and that first two seasons were unbelievable television because there was a true, like, 
rarely do they give you a show where you can't figure out what's going to happen next. You can kind of guess, or like you can guess five options and it's going to be one of these, you know, and it, like, you know, like a murder mystery. It's like, well, it has to be one of these four people, you know, with that, there were legitimate ideas. And, and you, you mentioned the pulling the string on guys. And what I love that lost did was that the episode would have the string of like, what's going on in the Island, but then you get the backstory of a character and so you really got to delve into those characters and get to know them. And that only, and it was not only was it like good writing and interesting and whatever and good for character development, but they were smart in that it, it brought you tighter to the show because now you care about that character. You know, you care about what happens to this person because now you know their backstory. Mr. Echo was a perfect example of that. It's like you didn't know anything about him. Then you learn his backstory. You're like, Oh my God, like what this guy has been through and what he used to be and who he is now. And, you know, and then of course that guy sadly had to leave the show early because of some family issues. And it's like, Oh, I just got so invested into him. And then he died. And you're so like, Oh my God. Spoiler alert. If you haven't watched lost by now, forget you. Stop listening. Well, (laughs) but the show is, is, I mean, it was, it was ostensibly about the, non-linearness of time and like the mystery of it yes and of course it made sense to tell the story through past present and future i just love lost i can't say enough about it we're yeah. getting down to the nitty-gritty we're getting pretty darn close to uh to our to our top picks here um, so number th- see what's going to be three for you it's tiger king that was number three for me because the intensity of the binge but also how forgettable it was after you were right it was sort of like it was like eating way too much ice cream or something, you know, it was just a guilty pleasure. And then afterwards you feel kind of horrible about it, but I have to see the intensity of that binge. As I said, we watched seven episodes in eight hours and I've never done that before ever. And so we can, we've, we've discussed that one. So we can kind of move on to your number two, but yeah, Tiger King, the intensity of that binge, woof, it was crazy. And my, my, by the way, my top two are long binges. So it's not single season things. I'm done with the single season stuff. So uh, number number two for you, Kyle. Uh, my number two was Mad Men. And I think that uh, in lieu of speaking more about the show. Um, How did you watch it? That's what I want to know. Was it I DVDs? Believe, was it? I believe it was Netflix. It was Netflix. Okay. Because it was on Netflix for a long time. Um, I, I, I just remember catching up and watching it and being like it's so interesting because it's a show you're trying to catch up on and watch the episodes in quick succession but also the pacing of that show is so intentionally slow and it's slow it's and it's deliberate and it's like you can't rush it and if you think about like oh i need to watch three more episodes today or i need to like put any like time constraints or parameters on what it is, you're not going to experience it in the way it was intended to be experienced. So it was so fascinating. I just wanted to mention because, because we're getting to the end here at, at this spot, a couple, two picks that I had on here that I would say is honorable mention. Um, and because they're a little more comedic in nature, I didn't really know where to put them. Uh, I was going to throw sports night on there. Sports night is something that great show through dvds and it was maybe you know the episodes are 21 minutes long and it's like there's not that much there so you can just rip through them and they make you feel good before bed and then also arrested development going back so great what was what's this all about like there's this really witty interesting um thoughtful 
absurdist world that I had never considered before. And there's all these people enjoying it. And the fact that you got to binge it after it had already been canceled and know yeah. it like, Oh my God, like this didn't make it. This was like something yeah. that there wasn't a place in the ecosystem for it. Like kind of made it even more special. So number two for me is mad men. So we'll go, we'll go to you. I want, I want to mention on your sort of honorable mention list. I had a couple too. And one of them uh, at the time I watched it every week and maybe would catch up that week with some other, but my girlfriend and I went through community in, in all of community in uh, all six seasons, unfortunately, no movie. Uh, in, uh, of community during quarantine and she'd never seen it before. We ripped through that in like a week and a half because again, it's 21 minute episodes with no commercials. And so we destroyed that. Uh, it, that's a great one. And I would agree with you on um, a, a sports night was fantastic. I remember watching it on comedy central. They put it on comedy central for a while after it was already, out. it was like West wing hit. And so they had to get some Sorkin content somewhere else. And I, I loved that show. And I was, I was sad that it didn't work out. And I did watch, uh, I, I watched Arrested Development after the fact as well, but it took me a little, a little longer, but another just fascinating story. And one that, that uh, missed the cut for me was Ozark. Uh, I binged two seasons of that and I'm now up to, it missed the cut though uh, for me. It's not on mine either. It's not my one, not my, not my number one pick, but I was just trying to, I was earlier, I was going to say, well, Tiger King was the thing that they made, uh, in the lab for a binge. Um, yeah. But then I was like, that's actually wrong. Ozark is that. Ozark yeah. takes Ozark. a single thing that you love about the binge shows and cuts out all the fat. So like in the yep. span of like three episodes, you're basically having something that would take up an entire season for something else in 13. Now that can be a little bit harrowing and 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 maybe work to the death. It's an intense show. show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any urge to go back and rewatch it, but I think you're on number two, correct? I am no on number two. My number two is Peaky Blinders is one of my favorite shows. I love that show. And when I first did the binge, I had heard about it when it came out. I was like, you got to watch the show. Got to watch the show. I put it off, put it off, put it off. I watched the first four seasons of that over a weekend, maybe because they're only six episodes each because it's a BBC show and the BBC does that. They have really short, short series as they call them. I watched the first four seasons just like rapid fire and it was intense and it's such a good show. And it's, it's kind of like, it reminds me of, of has breaking bad vibes where it's like the acting's really good. The writing's really good, but like it's intense and it's a ride and you are just holding on for dear life as twists and turns and it's like if sons of anarchy were a real well done show like it's it because sons of anarchy just loses it at times and you're just the the plot points don't make sense and it like loses the you know it's it's tethered to reality this is like what that should have been and there's just such a you know it's it's just a vibe it's so well shot it's so well done killian murphy's unbelievable in it um, they're all great. The whole family's great. The character development, you fall in and love in and out of love with characters, the whole length of the show. Um, it's just, it's so good. And then again, you have characters coming in for a season where you wish that like they could stick around forever. Adrian Brody is comes in and plays, you know, an American mafia guy who is so good for a season. And I don't know, it's, it's just one of those shows where everything feels like it fits together, like a perfect puzzle and it's, but it's also not a slog to get through. It is fun and you can knock out a season in a day because it's six episodes or something like that. So that's on, that's my number two with how fast and intense that watch is. And now 
Then I had to wait a year and a half to get the next season. And now I got to wait almost two years for the next season. So I'm struggling. So let me ask you this. When you say Peaky Blinders is number two on this list, where does it rank for like your all-time favorite series? Are we talking about is this um, that's in the top 10 or is it something? Definitely. Like, yeah. okay. I'd say top 10 for sure. It's, it's one of those that like it's deep and it's smart and it's interesting and it's, you appreciate the writing you appreciate. And, and with that one, the writing isn't necessarily a dialogue. The dialogue's good, but it's not necessarily a dialogue. That's so good. It's the journey you take, like the overall writing of like how you get from point A to point B is what's so good about that show. And you're again, twist that you're not expecting characters. You're not expecting Tom Hardy is on that show and he's, you know, as a guest and he's so good every time he'll be on one episode a season, but it's like, he's so magnetic and good that you just, you shut everything down and he's your favorite character, you know? And um, so I, I, yeah, it's in my top 10 for sure. And I can't wait for the next couple seasons to come out. Have so, you seen yeah, it before? I have seen the first season. Um, my impressions of it. I, I enjoyed it. I thought, I thought it, it held my interest uh, to me, it's kind of a show that's like, if you want to do like, if we were doing the go-to sports radio topic of like QB tiers, I feel it's mm-hmm. like tier two. It's a tier two show. Gotcha. It's yeah, not, that's fair. It's not like one of those like all-time greats, uh, but you watch, like, you watch it and you like the sixth best quarterback in the league. You're like, what does the sixth best quarterback league in the league look like? Or I like, oh, he's probably got some holes and like, I don't yeah. really love it. And then you watch it and you're just like, damn, like that guy's still pretty good. Like it's just, yeah, it's, it's an interesting. And, and by the way, it does get better. And, and the, you know, what unlocked the key for me was watching with the subtitles on because they're speaking it's, you know, with the accents and that helped me so much. I was like, Oh, that's what he said. Cause I rewatched it. And I was like, Oh, that's why that was such a big line. You know, like you kind of dissect more of the, of the dialogue and stuff. I agree. If you watch the first season, the first season's a ride. It's fun and it's good, but I do think the series gets, it's one of those that gets better. And I think they're my number one is, is a series. I think that is started well, but got better as well. And that's what hooks you in. So uh, I'd recommend keeping going with it. I think it's, I think it's great. And I think it's so fun. And again, it's a quick one. It's only six episodes each season. So I think that brings us to number one. Uh, number, number one. I'll lead off here. I wouldn't be surprised if we, had the same one. Although I know that there's like some all time great shows that haven't been named. Um, yeah. So I will name the one that is always in the conversation and was also my most pleasant uh, and communal streaming experience. And that is the Sopranos. Wow. So, so that's a great call. The Sopranos is not on mine because I watched that in college every Sunday night. Uh, and I watched it as it went along, but I would say if you, now, if this were our top 10 TV shows, that's battling for number one. So I, I like, I can see how that would be a number one binge. Mine is, it's going to be similar to the, to the Sopranos, but it's not, but go on, tell me why you, what was, so when did you come to the Sopranos? Like, when did you get it? It was late. 2014 so it was a long time ago and it was well after the series had ended i okay. knew how it ended i knew what the final okay it was i knew what how could you avoid that like i also can't. knew like several like you could not avoid some of the big spoilers like i mean you couldn't be online for as often as we are online and not know what happened to of course 
So I remembered it in real time. I remember the conversation online in real time, but enough time had passed where I had forgotten most of it, which was really good. So it was being, really that's, that's actually really good that like you excised all that from your memory before. And yeah. I approached it like, there's no way this show is as good as everybody says it is. It was like, surely it's <laughs> not this good. Like, I, I just, I, I can't imagine what about this show is going to like be so phenomenal that, that it changed television. That yeah. It changed television. Right. That's a, those are some big words. And I, I watch it and I was like, this is, this is unbelievable. Like it, it, there's so much going on. Um, the, the whole anti-hero movement uh, you're looking at the number one character for it. Uh, and he was the, he was the, he was the egg from the chicken and, and the egg. I, I mean, to this day, probably the most likable one. Uh, mm-hmm. the most complicated one, the one, uh, the, the best acted one by Gandolfini. I think the fact that Gandolfini had died um, made it resonate so much more. Um, and that's- the, It was hard to watch him in anything else after watching him play Tony Soprano. And, and if you learn about James Gandolfini, he hated the character. Like he, he you know, he, he understood, but he, he hated who the guy was. He liked playing the character, but he hated him because he was nothing like him. He didn't have a Jersey accent. He was kind of a hippie and everybody on set will talk about, yeah, oh no, he was nothing like Tony Soprano, but you can't imagine Tony Soprano without James Gandolfini. And you can't imagine James Gandolfini without playing Tony Soprano. I mean, he was magnetic. He lit up the screen and was so perfect in that role. And just rewatched it a second time very quickly, binged through it again. My second rewatch, I understood what they were trying to say about the crime family. I understood that I noticed how dopely they were portrayed, how much was done for laughs. When I initially watched the series, I thought it was like not a glorification, but like it never felt like they got the vindication. Like it was like, these are cool people. You watch it a second time and you're like, man, these people are losers and they're dumb. Yes. And especially through the 20s. There's a lot. And and there's a lot of funny in there that maybe the first time you see it, you don't get the joke, but then knowing where it goes, rewatching it, it, it opens your eyes to, there's a lot of really funny scenes that are very subtly funny that you get the second time through. Cause I've watched it a couple times through too. And it is, there's a lot of comedy in there that it, it's a funny show. Absolutely. And I could not have had a better experience watching it because this is something that I watched with my wife and we were on the same timetable with it. I remember her wanting to watch it. I remember us never feeling like one person was more invested than the other. It was at a really special time in our lives. Uh, it was what we were watching um, when it became time to go to the hospital for our first kid. Um, wow. so I have that connection. I remember exactly uh, what episode it was. It was when they were up at uh, Lake George uh, oh, yeah. with Bobby. Uh, and I remember watching that and it's like, I will forever have that moment. Um, it was just such a great time in my life because I remember really relaxing and it was kind of like the last time when it was going to be just the two of us kind of like the last like tv project we did together and it was something yeah. really special about it and to have it be a show that was unbelievable really just really just like brought the whole thing home it was like there was it nothing- wasn't tiger king it was no, it wasn't. Something, it was yeah. a, the quality was there the 
pace of, of, of the binge was there, the communal aspect of it, which I admit I, I don't do well at, uh, considering other people's feelings. And also just like, I don't get as fulfilled because I like to go at my own pace. We were right. like, we're on the same one with that. So I think for that, like all around experience, Sopranos is an easy number one. And it sounds, it sounds perfect. Yeah. Very excited uh, to see what you have won. I have a guess. I'm not gonna, I won't, I won't ruin it, but I hope <laughs> it has four letters. Yeah. It was the wire it was number one. It was, and, and so what happened with the wires, it was released in 2002 when I was about to move out to Indiana, I was transferring to Indiana for school. And so I was in school and I was kind of intense and had all these projects and stuff. I was not watching HBO on Sundays. I was doing stuff, you know, college stuff. And I would say, I think it was before season five, the final season. Uh, one of my friends had watched it since the beginning. And this was just after I graduated. It was 2000. I think it was 2006, like, or maybe it was early 2007. I graduated in 2006. And he said, just, you have to watch it. I just, he had just binged the whole thing and he, but he had watched like during it. And then he like caught himself up on it. He's like, you got to watch it. And so I went in and, and on HBO on demand on my cable started rewatching, started watching the wire. And I got so caught up and so sucked in and, that show is just so complicated and so deep and, and the characters are all so unique and so diverse. And it's, I mean, you've watched it. It's the, 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 the one of the greatest shows ever given the aspects and also shows you an aspect of society that people that grew up like me, I'm not exposed to, you know? And so it was fascinating to sort of dive into that world. I know it's a TV show, but still to dive into that world and sort of explore it of, you know, cops and drug dealers and the kids involved and you know all of that stuff was fascinating and so i watched the first four episodes of that over a couple weeks four seasons of that over a couple weeks but it was all consuming i was working in a small town newspaper so when i was not there doing that i was either at the gym eating or watching the wire there was no other sort of leisure time. It was, I know it was like a project. Like I am watching this because I am sucked in. And then I, I remember when season five finally came around. So I watched the first four seasons, but season five finally came around. I binged it again to get caught up, you know, cause I only watched it through once, but it was immediately jumped to the, the top of my list of favorite shows. And I know that's cliche and everybody has that as, as one of their favorite shows, but it is just such a rich, dynamic and and incredible show and david simon i've watched all of his stuff after that and and again it's it's a pattern with the guy he didn't just hit a home run on that one his stuff is just that good well david simon is a journalist and yeah his work that was how he wrote the show yeah his work is journalism and it's the i mean i think it's the best piece of it's the best journalism movie if you want to if you want to break it yeah it's obviously the best journalism tv show and it's, it's a primer for how things work in the real world. And yeah. as someone who grew up with great privilege and never had to discover how things worked in the real world, this was an amazing way to learn, whether it be low-income housing, whether it be how policing really works, the good, the bad, the ugly, how city government works, how, how schools in those areas work. work how the shipping industry works, how a newspaper can work, how all these things to go into these worlds and, and create them uh, authentically um, 
five different times is yeah feet that will never be done. It's full disclosure. It's not on my list just because I thought that you might put it one and I didn't want to <laughs> overlap. I mean, I, I think it's like, no one's going to argue with that. Uh, I think I was a little bit slower on the binge. I don't really even remember what it was too. So yeah, there's no connection, but I think, I think as far as like making a show that makes you understand what the real world is and, 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 and you can bring and you can take the lessons and you can learn from the characters, not in the sappy um, hypothetical way, but in the way, Oh, okay. This is how I need to treat people. Or this is why certain people are making these choices. Or this is why like dealing with certain government is, is, is fate accompli. Like it's just, it just is a text that you want to give to someone and someone has to be in the right headspace, right? You can't give yeah. it to someone who is, who uh, is either overly cynical is like overly cynical to begin with, or someone who is totally uncynical because I feel like you can kind of sully them and push them way too far or take away like yeah. a lot of their happiness. But if you're, it's a great point. If you're like an accepting way, like this is kind of going to mold what I think about the world. Uh, it, it is, it is, I mean, I think it's just essential. And it's something what I think is so what I think is is so great about is David Simon was a journalist in Baltimore. And then the guy he wrote it with Ed Burns was a homicide detective in Baltimore. So they really got two guys who knew the city, knew what this was really like and knew what all these aspects of that world were like and worked together to make something special. And 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 it is just you're right. It's, it's sort of like it shapes the way you view the world in a different way. Certainly from somebody, again, I grew up, you know, in a nice area of San Diego. I don't know any of this stuff, you know, and it really sort of exposes you to a lot of different things and a different world. And what I thought was also interesting was that the shooting in Baltimore, you know, sometimes when they go into those row houses that are like abandoned lots that people are in, those were actual people's houses they were shooting in that people, they'd pay them to clear out and they just shoot scenes in them. Like, it was real and it was on the ground. It wasn't on a soundstage somewhere. They were shooting it really there. And I think that's what really brought me sort of closer to the material. And, and I agree with you. It's just so well done. And, and one of the best, you know, TV shows I've ever experienced. And the crazy thing is it didn't get great ratings and it never won any major television awards, which is just stunning to me, you know, in retrospect, but it's, it's honored as one of the best ever. So um, I think that's, uh, I think that's, uh, that's my list. And, and I think that's a good way to end it with Sopranos and, and the wire to end it right there is, is pretty awesome. Kyle, any last thoughts on, on the list? Did, did, did this surprise you? Did any of these surprise you? Well, I would say a couple of your choices surprised me because I'm not so familiar with them. I think that's what makes mm-hmm. a good list though. Um, yeah. looking back at what we did, I think it's so cool that we were able to talk about the unique experiences we had and they were all different um but we each saw the same product so it's really cool to to look at these lists and and talk about the way that it it shaped us and to consider about how you consume something is inextricable to the experience of consuming something if you're watching first take in a, in a barbershop. Well, that's a little bit different than watching first take in your house, your setting and the way that you're um, putting it into your bloodstream makes it makes a huge, huge difference. And while we were doing this, it made me kind of want to like binge more because the last thing I'll say about that is binging is a blessing and a curse because it provides you with these really high highs 
Uh, there's no better feeling than watching a show and realizing I dig this show. I can't wait to get more of it. I know there are 34 more episodes. Let's go. Like you're fired up. Like, cause you've entered this world. There's no worse feeling than not feeling that high chasing that high being like, Oh, if I could just get back to the point where I love this show after season one or or episode 26, like something turned for me, you're always kind of like chasing and it's in, and then that causes you to maybe like, look at, look at other shows to find it in. And then you kind of approach it with, I'm going to love it. I have to binge this. And then you get in too deep and you end up watching stuff that you don't really care about it. So it's a very interesting thing and it very, it, it, it really drives our behavior, but I think that you would agree that like it's responsible for s- some of the best feelings, but also kind of like kind of like the dumbest hollow ones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we both hit that with Tiger King, but no, I agree. When you catch on to a good show and it enriches you, and it feels uh, like the payoffs are there, and the writing is good, and the acting is good, and all of that stuff, it is a great feeling, and it's it's one of those things where I think the best feeling is knowing that there's more. And then when it runs out at the end, it's kind of like, uh, you know, like I, I wish there was another six episodes of this. I loved it so much. So um, I completely agree with you, Kyle. I, I think that there's something about, about binging that is, that is different. And it's, it's certainly uh, um, can be the highest of the highs for you when you catch a good one. Um, with that said, thanks everybody for listening. We went long on this one, but I enjoyed every minute of it. I thought it was great comparing with Kyle, our experiences and, 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 you know, he surprised me with some of his lists too. And I'm glad I surprised him. Um, thanks guys. We're going to do another one of these and, and we're going to run down seven more of something else and, and just tear it apart like we did today. Uh, thanks for tuning in and, and stay tuned.